0: You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthopechurch. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn to John chapter 3. Guests, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so and excited here this Christmas Eve morning to celebrate the coming of our Savior. We're going to continue, finish our uh, series here in Advent uh, where we're going to focus on the theme of love. If you, if you are a guest uh, this morning, we hope and pray that you were welcomed uh, here, whether it was over in Don- uh, eating some donuts this morning or here into this room. Uh, we believe that God has you here for a reason. Uh, that God loves you and he cares for you and for you to hear uh, from his word this morning. We call this time preaching because we come uh, and come to the Bible and we want to hear what the Bible has to say and not what I have to say. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can grab one of those black hardcover Bibles in the pew back in front of you and turn to page 943 to follow along with us. What do you think is the greatest act of love? What do you think is the greatest act of love? Some might say it is the soldier who willingly lays down his life for his, his country to, to be sent anywhere in the world to fight a war and to protect the freedoms here at home. Some may say the greatest act of love is for a, for a couple, one of the spouses may be dying and for that, that spouse to care for uh, maybe her husband who has cancer. Or maybe it's the mother who takes care of her child when they are sick. We at least can think of many acts of love and some that really demonstrate this virtue. Something that we all desire to have. Love for others, love from others. We want to be loved. Love is at the central place also in the Christian life. Love is what we Need. Love is what we are called to give. If you are a Christian today, then you have experienced God's love and you now are called to show that love. Well, here in our passage this morning, we're going to focus on that theme of love. We've talked about hope and peace and joy. As we consider love, none of that is possible. There is no peace. There is no hope. There is no joy without God's love. And that love is what we will focus on this morning. So let me read to you three verses from John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. But he he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. (laughs) You see here, church, what we learn here, what, what the passage is telling us in John 3, in these three verses, that God sent his only Son, Jesus, into the world, into our broken world, to offer salvation to anyone who believes in him. Now, if you're a disciple, if you're a Christian, you're trying to walk with Jesus, here's what you need to know today. The advent of Christ, the coming of Christ, demonstrates God's loving offer of salvation to anyone who believes in Jesus. This is the message at the core of following Jesus, that God offers salvation if you believe in Jesus. But if, if you're a Christian, you might well think, well, that's, a, that's, an old, that's old news. I already know this story. But the point is that this is what we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. That God loves us and that if we believe in his son, then he is with us and he's for us. As Pastor Ryan read this morning. These three verses fall in John chapter 3. Maybe one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. It may be one of the greatest chapters on love in the Bible. I know we all want to go to 1 Corinthians 13, but it's so beautiful here how Jesus and Nicodemus and even how John wraps up the chapter talking about love, about God's great love. And we focus here now on these three verses. Look there at, with me at verse 16. Right, it says, for God loved the world this way. As many of you know, you probably know John 3.16. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible because of Billy Graham. And surrounding these verses, though, are just as beautiful. They help underscore the importance of this great verse. You see, first we see here in verse 14, there's a 4 in, verses, in verse 16 that connects to verses 14 And 15, explaining exactly why God sent Jesus in the first place. There was a reason God sent his son. And in verse 14, it tells us that he is to be lifted up. That is is to be lifted up on the cross to give his life. Right? You see, all of us, I think most of us this morning, maybe you're late uh, and buying some gifts. Uh, Maybe you have a little bit of time left. I'm not sure. But most of you have probably put your presents under the tree. And they're ready to be open today and tomorrow, maybe a few days after now. But you see, the greatest gift that God ever gave was placed on a tree to give his life for you and me. And so we now as Christians, we give gifts out of this great gift that was given to us. That is why God sent Jesus into the world. But secondly, verse 16 begins and centers around God's love. You may remember the old translation, for God so loved the world. Here we understand that God shows, that as He expresses, He proves His love by what? Sending His Son. The question remains, though, what is love? How do we actually define it? Well, there are lots of, uh, if you go online uh, and look it up or find a dictionary, there's actually lots of different ways you could define it. But here's how I think the Bible and how we should think about love. Love is a feeling of deep affection, deep. There's something that takes place emotionally and spiritually when we talk about love, but we can't stop there. This affection must be expressed outwardly. It must be an action. It cannot just be something that we say or something that we think or feel. It must motivate us to do something, particularly a commitment to serve someone else. For the well-being of someone else. You can think about a husband and a wife. You can think about a parent and a child. Love is most clearly expressed through acting in ways of service and kindness to other people. And it's extremely important because Christianity, as I said, begins with love. If God is the one who sins us in the world because of love, it begins there and it ends there because we now are called to love. Now, church, sometimes God the Father can be described as an angry old man. And Jesus as described as the loving son who submitted to his father. Now, while those things are true, it pits them against each other. And that is not what is taking place in the gospel. You see, yes, God is angry at sin, but he is also a loving father who sends his son into the world for you. And yes, Jesus is a loving son who cares for us and offers up his life for us, but he is also angry and broken by the sin in his world. And so may we not pit Jesus and the Father uh, against each other and so they're trying to battle out who's going to win. No, this is their plan to accomplish salvation for anyone who will believe in Jesus. So church this morning, our passage centers on God's love. And as we consider that love The most concrete way to to look at this is there are three aspects to God's love that we see here in these three verses. Three aspects to God's love in these verses. So the first aspect this morning, we see the depth of God's love. Continue there in verse 16. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. How do we know God truly loves us? He gave his absolute best for us. Jesus is his one and only son. Jesus is God's beloved son. God doesn't hold out on us. He doesn't have something better for us. He has given us everything that we need. He willingly gave his son to save us. These verses hit me different now as a father. I can't imagine Giving over my sons. I would lay my life down for them. But thinking about giving my sons away, I know that God stopped at nothing to save us. We see the depth of God's love through the gift that he gave. But notice the reason God gave his one and only son is because of his love. It's grounded in his love that he loved the world in this way. Jesus coming into the world is a good consequence of God's love. And now, how, though, did God give his son? The Bible explains, it tells us, as we've been reading through this Advent season, that Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary. God's love initiated a plan that would need a miracle, that Mary would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that she would conceive a son. I read this from another pastor this week. He said, you see, if we don't find a womb full that should have been empty, we would never find a tomb full that should have been empty. You see, God had to do a miracle first to bring Jesus into the world so that when Jesus defeated sin and death, he could be raised out of that tomb. God didn't just give his son to be born into the world, but God gave his son as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus, to be a sacrifice that we needed, he had to be perfect, free from sin. This is why he didn't have an earthly father. This is why Mary conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus to have power over sin and death, he had to be God. That's why he, as a savior, Comes in the form of a man, but had to be God. The Savior couldn't be just a regular old child born from two human parents. So Jesus, the Son of God, light from light, as old documents say, had to be born as a baby. In church, when we look at Christ coming into the world, we must understand the full scope of his mission. Our devotion to Jesus can't stop at the manger. It must end at the cross, and that we understand that God's plan was this, that Jesus would come into the world as a baby, live a perfect and sinless life, and offer himself to die on a cross for you and me. Jesus' first coming doesn't matter if he doesn't lay down his life to offer salvation to us. You see, we see the heart of God in the very fact that he gave his son not just to be born in a broken world, but to die on a cross. We see the depth of God's love through the gift that he gave and the reason that he gave it, which was to save us. But we also see the depth of God's love through the world that he loved. Look back there, verse 16. Look at what God loved. He loved the world. You might be, you may think that's an extent of God's love. Look at how big his love is. He loves everyone in the world born in the past or born in the future. Now, while this is true, it misses the point that I think Jesus and John are making here. Often, John uses the word world in a negative light. Right, the world is something bad. Think about how the apostle Paul uses flesh. He talks about us fighting our flesh. It's something that's negative. And John uses that to describe the world. He tells us in, in his first letter not to love the world. This world here is the same world. It's, to use, it's used to describe a world that is opposite of God's kingdom. But this is exactly why God's love is so great. This is why his love is so shocking because God loves a world who hates him. God loves a world who doesn't want anything to do with him. A world that has been broken and distorted and perverted by sin and death. We see the depth of God's love by looking at the very object he loved. This is why God's love is so different than ours. Because he loves people who don't love him back. He offers love to people who don't want it. And he offers love to his enemies. Church, you see, that is the kind of love that changes us. Not one-sided, not short-sighted, but fully focused. On God. That he gives a gift to us. But what, is, what does this famous verse say? That anyone who believes in him. You see, there, are, there is a, you must believe in Jesus. There's something that you have to do. It's not just free. It's in the same way that there may be a gift under your tree, wrapped with your name on it, but it will sit under that tree until you go get it. You did nothing to deserve it. You could have done nothing to change it, but you must believe. And you see, there are benefits to believing here. You will not perish, but you will have eternal life. When you believe in Jesus, you get eternal life. He, his love gives you. Don't have have, you don't have to fear death anymore. You get to spend eternity with God. Now, let me be clear. What I'm not saying is that if you believe in God, you get a get out of hell free card. That's not what I'm saying. I want you to believe in Jesus because he's changed your life. He's changed your heart. He changes your future. Not just so that you don't have to go to hell, but that you actually get God. Jesus is the source of life. And you get him for the rest of eternity. All other things are icing on the cake. Heaven with its beauty, and potential seeing our, our loved ones. Those are all icing on the cake because what we get in the gospel is God himself, our very creator who loves us. And his love will never fail and never end. We get to be with him forever. Church, this Advent season, the Advent of Christ demonstrates God's loving offer of salvation to anyone who believes in Jesus. And the first aspect we see is the depth of God's love. But the second aspect we see is the display of God's love. The display of God's love. Look there at verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. There's another four. In light of God's deep love, we get a true display of his love. God does not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Think about it this way. Maybe you were... You can imagine being someone in another country who had been taken captive by a foreign power. And another army comes in and you're thinking that this is it. This is over. They're going to take us out. Instead of, of, of handing you over to the enemy, they liberate you and they free you. They didn't come to condemn you, but they come to set you free. In the same way, this is the message of the gospel. That if God sent his most precious son, then let's make sure we know why he sent him. The word sin is connected to the word gave back in verse 16. And it's about the mission of God. All that means is that how God works in the world to accomplish salvation. In the same way now Jesus sends us. Those who have professed faith in him, those who have given our lives in a world to proclaim good news of salvation. Not of condemnation, but of salvation. Of course, we warn people that unbelief leads to death. And the consequences of sin are great, but the consequences of God's love are much greater. This is our mission now if you walk with Christ. And you see there, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. That is, he didn't come to judge the world harshly. He didn't need to do that. That was, that was already decided. He didn't come to, to judge Without any solution, this is important to understand. The Savior of the world did not come to stand in judgment over the world the first time. His first advent, he came to do the opposite, and that's to offer salvation to anyone who will believe in him. This verse continues. It says, but, not to condemn, but, maybe the best three letter word in the Bible. But he came to save. In contrast to leveling condemnation against us, he offers salvation to us. Some translations say, but that Jesus might save. He openly offers this gift to us, to anyone who will believe. Anyone who will trust in the work that God has done in Christ. God's love is displayed by the very fact that he sent Jesus into this world. Remember, this world isn't a good place. It's a broken place, standing in opposition to God. Romans 5, 6 tells us this. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The very opposite. Verse 7. For rarely will anyone die for a just person, though for a good person. Perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the solution to our problem is not covering up sin or dismissing it. It's a fool's errand to try to affirm sin instead of dealing with it. Instead, God provides a solution that would take care of sin and all of its consequences. The Apostle Paul goes on in the book of Romans in chapter 8. He gets to verse 1. He says, therefore, there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus came not to condemn, but to provide salvation. This is how God's love is displayed through his son. This is why he came. This is why we can celebrate Christmas. Advent offers true hope, peace, and joy. Because we have a loving God who sent his son into the world that would save anyone who believes in him. You see, salvation begins with God's love and ends in loving God. If you have faith in Christ, our faith produces love. And then our love produces obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, you see, if you you read the Bible, what you notice is God gives commands to people in the Old Testament. And for the vast majority, everyone falls short. They can't do it. And even the ones who obey well for a period of time end up slipping and falling. Even some of the greatest heroes in the Old Testament. But when you believe in Christ, have faith in Christ, God gives you a supernatural ability to love Him and to obey Him. You may have heard God loves you just as you are, but He also loves you enough to not leave you or let you stay how you are. His love changes you and molds you into His Son. Church Advent truly shows us why God sent Jesus into the world, love, to save us. We see God's loving offer of salvation through the display of that love, which is salvation over condemnation. But there remains one last aspect to God's love. With these two beautiful aspects, there's one that remains. There's a decision to God's love. There's a decision, too, because for many of us, we've heard about God's love in John 3, 16. It's not a new verse to us. It it isn't new. It's actually become commonplace to recite the verse. And if I ask most of you in the room today, I'm not going to do it. You probably could, you could probably recite it from memory. The question, though, isn't do you know about God's love? Instead, it's do you believe in God's son whom he sent in love? Often, familiarity with this amazing truth can lead us to boredom. But, church, this truth demands a decision. It demands a response. And we saw a hint of this reality in verse 16 God gave his own son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 18 goes further. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This verse explains, says there are two groups of people, if you will, two teams of people. And, and here's the problem. You're already on, you're already on the wrong team. You don't, you don't get to choose the team you're on. There are those who are condemned and those who are not condemned. And remember, condemnation is, is this idea of being judged and if I look at my own life, if I'm judged on my own merits, I fall extremely short of God's standard. Woefully short. You see, group number one, they are those who are not condemned. They have eternal life. They have eternal life with God. But there's the second group. They are already condemned. That means they, they already have eternal death. We may think that in this life it's all there is. We may think that this is the best to come, but there's actually a second life. One that you can have true eternal life or you can have true eternal death. And these are the groups of people that we're born into. That we are born into death. Even if you don't know it, you are already condemned if you do not believe in the name of Jesus Before he came, we were all condemned. And you might say to me, Pastor Cody, I I don't feel condemned. But let me explain what that means. often condemnation feels like guilt and shame and depression. Because the weight of sin has so burdened this world. Maybe you've heard people talk about there's a God-sized hole in their heart. Or they're trying to find the meaning of life. Without God, you will be lost. You're going to search for something to satisfy you. And there is nothing in this world, if you do not have Christ, that will satisfy you. Until you submit your life in belief. that is To believe means that you're going to have faith. You're going to trust in God. Meaning that you're going to believe what he says more than what you want. You will still be condemned if you do not believe. You will experience that condemnation. Church, here's the deal. Without Jesus, you are condemned already. You're already on the wrong team. You, you already are, have a sentence. But the world would like to tell you that you're a good person, that you just need to find yourself and what makes you happy. But you won't be able to do that. The difference between these two teams, though, are belief. disbelief, to have faith and trust, that's the decision you have to make. Are you going to believe in Jesus? And note, we've seen this throughout the passage. It's in verse 14. It's in verse 16 and verse 18. Here's the equation. It's very simple. Very simple. Belief equals eternal life. Belief equals eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, that he is God's only son who lived a perfect life and laid down his life for you on the cross and was raised three days later, you have eternal life. But it's not just that you have eternal life. You now get to experience that life now by God transforming you and changing you into his son's image. You see, church, the issue is not being more religious or more moral or even the intensity of our belief. Rather, it's a belief, a right belief in God's son, Jesus. Jesus. The question is, what is the object of your faith? What is the object of your trust? It can't be that you're a good person. Because all of us in the room, if we're being very serious, we know that we have broken at least one law, have sinned in some way. It's not that you can do all the good Christian stuff. You can read your Bible and come to church and pray and give. Those things don't give you eternal life. It's only belief. It's that you believe fully in Jesus, the Son of God, who died in your place and was raised on the third day. Look at the depth of God's love for you. Look at how he's displayed his love, that he would send his own Son for you and me. would die for us. God has done everything necessary for you to have eternal life. The only thing you must do, the only thing I must do, is believe. If you don't know Jesus today, will you make that decision? What will you decide this morning? Because here's another truth if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, you are already condemned. This means that you're just waiting for your sentence. The verdict has been announced, you're guilty. But in God's grace and His kindness, you can take another deal. There's another deal on the table. If you believe, you fully trust in Jesus, He's paid for your sins, then you can get a different sentence. Not eternal death, not eternal condemnation, but eternal life with God. That's the two options on the table. And for some of you in the room, you don't feel like it's Christmas this year, do you? Some of you have had some really hard days. Maybe there's been some serious illnesses that... Maybe you or your family have have had. Maybe there's been conflict in your family. Maybe you lost a loved one this year. Maybe it just doesn't feel like Christmas to you. And I know how that feels. But there's hope. Despite how we feel, despite the circumstances around us, God's love for you doesn't change. God has offered his son for you and God has offered his son to anyone who will believe and demonstrated that love on the cross. If you're not a Christian today, I truly hope that you will submit your life to Jesus in belief, that you will place your trust in him. Maybe you're a Christian today, but maybe you've not been walking with God. Maybe you've been drifting away, not seeking after him. But you see, the answer is the same. Believe. Remember what you placed your belief in. And trust him every single day. Because that Jesus, whom you feel like you're drifting away from, has his arms wide open to welcome you back and to walk with him and to know him and to love him. Maybe you are a Christian this morning. You you are really walking with Jesus. You're striving after him. Continue and press on. Often we hear that the great threat to Christmas is the secularization of Christmas. We've got to buy all these presents and all the commercials and it's all the consumerism. But church, those aren't the real threat to Christmas. If you're a Christian today, there is no threat to Christmas. The only threat to Christmas is our own boredom with the greatest story that's ever been told. And so may we not Get bored reciting this same story over and over and over again to us. And may we truly believe, and may that belief cause us to action. That we know the love of God demonstrated in His Son, in Jesus, gives us true life, gives us eternal life. What will you decide today? Will you believe? Will you trust in his son or will you trust in something else? What will you decide? Pray with me. God in heaven, our creator, our father who loves us, you hear us this morning. We worship you. We give honor to you. We praise the name of Jesus because of his gift us laying down his life we praise you for sending him into the world God we don't deserve it God I know today there are many people in the room with different circumstances as we've said some who have have a hard Christmas season I pray that you would be with them and comfort them that this story of great love would overwhelm them and that they would if they haven't for the first time believe in Jesus and there are some of us in the room who have trusted you but have struggled over this year. Would you help us believe as the man cried out to Jesus in the Gospels? Would you help our unbelief? And if there's those of us in the room who are walking faithfully with you, would you help us continue and press on? Will this story of love motivate us to love you and to love others? And may this Christmas story Propel us into the future, not worried about what may come, but knowing that our future is sure in you. God, we love you. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.